0: Zero trust security is the idea that you don't trust an endpoint simply because of its IP address or because the last time you checked it was a trustworthy endpoint. Instead, no trust is assumed based on network location or history of good behavior or previous security posture or because the security policy the last time you checked it was good or how you're feeling about your network architecture. None of that. A zero trust architecture, it's a demanding approach to security that demands a constant reassessment of everything about a given communication to make sure that it is authorized. A full zero trust architecture, it's gonna go up and down the stack and it's gonna bring in policy and enforcement strategies from the application layer all the way down to the network. Our discussion today will be about zero trust network architecture or ZTNA. ZTNA is but one part of a robust zero trust architecture, but what a crucial component it is. And to discuss their ZTNA approach with us is sponsor Fortinet. Alex Samanti, Director of Technical Architecture, joins us to get into nerdy specifics about Fortinet's ZTNA along with tips on how to think about ZTNA as you fit it into your organization's global zero trust architecture strategy because of course you have one of those. Alex, welcome to Heavy networking. I want to jump right in with our first question. we We got to explain philosophically, maybe architecturally, what ZtNA is and and how it's different from a simple firewall policy. Can you take a stab at that for us? Well, sure. But one thing, the first thing I'm going to say is what it
1: really isn't. Uh, ZTNA, as you mentioned, Zero Trust Network Architecture is an architecture. It's not just a product. ZTNA is going to is a collection of products that is going to uh, authenticate who the endpoint is. It's going to make sure that they have the proper trust and access to access the network resources you have. And then it's something that is going to enforce that. Uh, access to those resources that you have specifically given access to, to all of these networks. Meaning what it is, is it is location independent access to all of the critical network resources that you have uh, within your network. Now, that component of, of access and policy enforcement and policy control is really comprised of three components. Something that is going to sit at the Um, client level, uh, wherever they are, something that is going to basically have the policies and trust and authentication levels, as well as some security enforcement point that is going to do those things. Now, how it's different from a simple firewall policy, a firewall policy is just an enforcement point. You can have policies within it, but it's not necessarily tied to that client. It's not tied to a location. It may be tied to just their user identity, but only that piece, ZTNA comprises all three of those components and brings them together into something that is simple and easy for a security administrator to deal with.
2: So there's an interesting point here. What you're drawing a a line through is that firewalling still exists in a zero trust architecture, but where the firewall is might change. That is, there has to be an enforcement, a block or an allow, right? But it could be in an appliance, it could be in an SD-WAN function at the edge of the network, um with the filtering and the and the policy applied there, or it could be a service in the cloud. But there's still more. There still has to be identity management, and then there also has to be a policy management because if you're going to put firewalls all over the place, across a cloud, across an edge, across a core, you know where wherever the firewalls are, you've then got to make sure that that policy is unified. You can't have um, three hundred firewalls plus one on every user's client and not have a piece of software to make that work. So what you're really suggesting is that zero trust is not one thing, a box that you can tick. It's actually a group of services that come together into a strategy or a plan or a a way of working.
1: Exactly. And that that, you know, we call ZTNA. That's the zero trust network architecture. But as you mentioned, the firewall is a key component of that uh, in our architecture, as is the endpoint uh, client, as is that policy piece. Together, all of those things, those different products create this um,
0: architecture for us. So, Alex, we've been talking about zero trust network architecture here, but I guess ZTNA, the more formal uh, definition here would be zero trust network access, Uh, which is part of the implementation here, how we're going to be delivering uh, a zero trust network architecture, which is you take your description, what you just described about what ZTNA as an architecture is all about and map your zero trust network access into Fortinet's world. How does Fortinet deliver ZTNA?
1: So Fortinet's universal ZTNA is really um, comprised of three main components. One is our 40 OS which uh, as we mentioned, can be anywhere, it can be on-prem, it can be in the cloud, it can be as a service. Um, It's composed of our 40 client, which does our endpoint enforcement uh, amongst other things. And then our policy management server, our EMS, which can also live either on-prem in the cloud or as a service. All three of these things uh, come together to provide our zero trust network access solution um, that we provide for customers.
0: Okay, so how does all that work to, together? Like, maybe like walk me through a client access to an application leveraging this product set.
1: Sure. So, if uh, let's say a client is um, at their local coffee shop, um, or you know, even at, even at one of their remote offices, uh, the access will be the same no matter what. The endpoint client for the client will determine whether they are on or off the network. If they're on the network, they can rely on 40 OS. Uh, that is existing in that um, that uh, uh, regional office to do uh, all of these components if they're off the network we will take a look and see what what um, resource they're accessing we will create a uh, we will sorry we will authenticate uh, the user every time not just the first time they connect but every time they connect we will authenticate and make sure that they are who they say they are um, when they uh, connect uh, to the resource that is, Providing the um, the network access in this case, 40OS. Let's just say it's on prem somewhere. Um, it will create a secure tunnel using uh, TLS 1.3 to that location. Um, then the policy server will know what access that particular user or device has access to, and 40OS will enforce that that all of those things are are true that the the user is trusted and authenticated, the application that they are trying to get to is allowed for that particular user and that they are not doing anything bad. We're doing normal security enforcement uh, at the endpoint and then provide them access to that resource all without having to have direct access to that because the uh, uh, 40OS universal access proxy is taking care of that for them.
0: Okay. So there's a lot going on there. A lot, a lot, a lot. So there's identity management going on. There is uh, a policy that is built around, you're calling it a resource, Alex. What, what do you mean by that? Is that an application? It can be an
1: application. Um, you know, that, that's depending on what you're, you know, what the thing that they are accessing is, you know, the the Fortinet uh, Universal ZTNA is really just 40OS underneath there. So we are utilizing the FortiGate um, and its ability to do Uh, uh, next generation firewall to identify applications. So if we can identify an application that is, you know, um, let's just say, um, let's just say they're doing, you know, Citrix or something like that. Um, They can access that resource and we will make sure that it really is that, not just something else running on that port. Um, So we're utilizing all of these components um, as well as the, you know, so the Forta client is making sure that they have those appropriate uh, access connections. Uh, we're also even making sure we're doing admission control. So, you know, do they have all the appropriate processes running? Um, all of these things are handled by that policy management uh, piece that is looking at the client, making sure it abides by all of the rules before connecting to that. So each each of these different components, you know, works together to provide all of that access in a seamless way. And that, that one thing mm-hmm. I think is very important because um, it's one of the things that separates what uh, a number of other vendors had tried in the past in order to stitch together um, different components in order to have a ZTNA solution.
2: Well, one of the interesting things here is that we've talked to a number of your customers well a number of Fortinet's customers over the last year or two. We've been working together and done several shows on disparate aspects of the FortiOS. And one of the unique things is that Fortinet uses the same operating system everywhere. It's not like, it, you know, this part was developed by this company and this part was developed by this company and this company was acquired and they put that in a container on top of an, you know, and it's just all one operating system and everything in 40OS is available to everybody. So you don't have to play licensing Jenga to work out which, li- you don't waste days of your life getting there. I did have a question. Somebody asked me the other day, and they said, "Why is it that Fortinet doesn't play licensing Django? Why don't you have multiple schemes of licensing? Is there some sort of corporate strategy that says we just want to avoid the complexity and get on, or is there, you know, some other ulterior motive for simplicity?"
1: Uh, some of it really can be that you know we have a lot of these things already built into FortiOS Whether that functionality uh, was called out. Specifically, at, as you know, this particular solution, um, uh, our SD WAN features and functionality was a good example uh, that mm. we had talked about before. We already had all of the components for SD WAN within 40 OS. We've repackaged it to provide SD WAN as a uh, new, you know, solution set. But we're not mm. going to charge you double for something that you already had. ZTNA is is the exact same way. We already mm. had the features and functionality to do authentication, to do secure tunnels, to do. Um, the uh, uh, resource handling and uh, mm-hmm. access requests. So again, we're not going to charge you again for that. Um, one one other benefit that this does uh, uh, present itself to the customer is licensing does become very simple. I don't yeah. have to have a different license for every feature and functionality that I am turning on. Um, mm-hmm. Once I get 40OS, um, I get universal ZTNA along with it.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I'm sort of getting a sense that that simplicity idea, simple to buy, Simple to design, simple to operate is sort of part of the, part of the culture at Fortinet. You don't want to have overly complicated products that apparently have magic inside them. That's that's not getting customers to the point of value. If I want to use a bit of business buzzwordy there, mm-hmm. um, you're just saying like it's it's not that hard. We can just use the same operating system to actually do SD WAN, to do SASE, to do Zero Trust, to identify users, to track what users are doing. It doesn't actually have to be. Customised from the ground up, or you know, if or developed from an acquisition or whatever.
1: Right, the the, the hodgepodge approach to um, you know adding features and functionality is not something that Fortinet has really looked towards. You know, we we want to try and develop things from the ground up as much as possible, and if not, we want to deeply integrate that. You know, our security fabric really. Talks about how the different products uh, that Fortinet has and how they really interoperate together. Um, that that has made a big difference for um, creating the uh, ZTNA solution because we're we're taking essentially three three different products and we are making them work together at a deeply fundamental level to provide a seamless
0: solution. I got a follow up question about that uh, that exact thing. You were describing the client. Uh, logging in, we know you are who you say you are, and that you have access to the thing you need to have access to, and there's, you're gonna stand up a tunnel that uh, that traffic is gonna go through and track it all. There's a lot of state management going on there, Alex, where I'm imagining that there is. And back in the day, that was a thing for firewalls. Well, how much state can this thing track? How many connections can I pump through it before I break it and I gotta scale out in some way? So how do you, what is state management like in an environment like this?
1: Well, the good thing is, it's not too different from what it was in NGFW. We are still tracking things like uh, the user authentication, um, you know, and what resources they have access to. The difference here is the state management is much more dynamic. So, you know, uh, with a traditional VPN solution, yes, I am probably going to uh, authenticate a particular user, and that user uh, um, information is going to be, be go along with that state. But now with ZTNA, I'm dynamically querying that all the time. So I need I need to be as the enforcement point, I need to be talking to the policy server that says, "Hey, is this, you know, has this policy changed? You know, does this user have the same rights that they did before? Or is this user even the same person as they were before?" So there's a lot more dynamic conversations that are happening between all three of these components that, you know, in a traditional VPN only exists basically at the time which the VPN connects. And once, once that happens, then we don't have to look that up anymore. But with ZTNA, we are constantly refreshing that information and constantly querying that. So it's not a, a matter of how many connections that we can do. It's really, you know, like how, you know, how, how frequently can we update this information?
0: And then a final question of that goes to identity, how you identify that that the, the person using the connection is who they say they are. Is that as simple as active directory integration or is there something more complicated going on? There
1: is something a little bit more complicated that happens. So when um a client first authenticates to the policy server, the policy server is going to issue that client and you know, we'll just call it a device, a device certificate. So that that way we can uniquely identify that device. Um, for for any connection that it makes, regardless of whether that's through um, you know existing nat so if I'm at a you know coffee shop or if I'm at home or somewhere else where my IP address may not be unique, my device certificate is unique and that's something that the client will present to the enforcement point on every um, every connection that they make. So after every connection that they make, they will um, present the device certificate the enforcement point will, Get that and verify with the policy enforcement that that device certificate still is valid, still has the you know the same the same uh, access uh, rights that it did before, and then proceed to allow it.
0: Mm, okay, we got we got to talk about latency at some point, but but, but I want to ask uh, something else first, which is you, you mentioned that there's multiple tools in the Fortinet world that are being joined together to deliver this solution. Okay. So let me play devil's advocate here. I mean, why do that versus spread my zero trust enforcement tooling around to a multitude of vendors? Uh, I could do some zero trust inspection on say a Fortinet edge box and then use a service from like my cloud provider that integrates with some of the other services I'm consuming from them because maybe I think that's better. So, so argue, argue for keeping it all in the Fortinet box.
1: Well, one of the challenges that a lot of uh, different vendors tried to do that in the beginning because they each had a piece of the solution. Uh, the problem was the exposure of you know either APIs or protocols between them that allowed for all of the functionality that they wanted. So right now there is no um, you know IETF standard for uh, ZTNA. So I'm you know I might not be able to uh, do all of the kind of network access checks on my client, or let's say, no, I can do, I, the, the client is able to do a number of different network access checks, but if it can't communicate what network access check it had to, let's say, the policy server or the enforcement point, then it doesn't really matter that they did that check or not. So having deep integration between all of these tools is one of the key things that allows the, the solution to really have the functionality to provide full ZTNA to everything else.
0: Well, you, Otherwise- you, you, you hit on a huge- component here, Alex, which is there is no standard for how to deliver ZTNA. So it's not like we know what the certificate approach is going to be, and we know how identity management is going to be, and we understand that these are the standard ways that we're going to interact with each other. And so you've got a, a predictable known API or other sort of surface that the tools could integrate with each other. You don't have that. Which So then take a step back. You'd have to be integrating with uh, others and forming partnerships and alliances. And yep, we work with you know whoever the other vendors would be. You know, and instead you've taken the point of we can do it all ourselves. So why, why wouldn't we, we have the deep integration there. Uh, we, we know because we know all of our tools and how to integrate them, how to get that uh, deep integration so that you can have a consistent ZTNA enforcement from end to end across the connection.
1: Correct. And depending on which pieces you might try and integrate, let's just say in the other, other approach, you may have that, you know, differentiated, um, uh, differentiated uh, security enforcement so the worst thing that you could probably have is well if i am you know a client and i am authenticating uh, or i'm doing uh, ztna to the cloud um if i get different security capabilities or different security enforcement versus when i'm going to some resource that's on prem and i get different security features and functionality or worse yet you know some signatures in one and some signatures in another then i have a big gap there because I'm going to probably assume that I have the most amount of security when really I'm looking at the least amount.
0: Mm. Okay. So we've got the, the integration argument is a, is, is a sound enough one, Alex, because we know we're delivering a consistent solution end to end here, but there's another school of security thought pretty, pretty popular, which is, yeah, don't put all your security eggs into one basket. You want to, kind of spread it around and you know in case that you know one vendor's got some vulnerability or other that would expose you you can go and rely on someone else in your security chain to help keep you safe and kind of contain the damage so so convince me that um you know putting all my eggs in the fortinet basket is is an appropriate risk to take
1: well one of the things that is um, true for Fortinet is that we do a lot of third-party testing, meaning you know we have independent third parties that test a lot of our products, whether it's our firewall, whether it's our uh, endpoint client, or uh, any of the number of other different products that we have. Um, the good thing about that is it's not us tooting our own horn; uh, it it is independent, verified third parties that is testing our security, and and we we really uh, enjoy participating in that. Um, Right now, most other uh, ZTNA solutions, um, especially if they're cloud-based, have no third-party testing, meaning there is no way for you as as an end user to verify whether the security that they're providing is good or not. So I can't look to a uh, document uh, of third-party testing that especially even that does a roundup between different security vendors. So because we are using our 40 OS, both in you know on prem in the cloud or as a service it's the same uh, same level of security in all three of those locations um and that is something that is concrete that you can bank on as opposed to you know another vendor just saying yeah our security is pretty good just trust us
2: hmm. i was also going to say it's also a, a key part of security for any sort of security infrastructure is your ability to operate it which sometimes gets lost in zero trust discussions. We're so busy talking about the features and the integrity and, the, as you said, all the different aspects. But Zero Trust just has this really excellent operational model. Because we have software-operated infrastructure now, we expect you know, companies like Fortinet to supply us with a cloud-hosted service or an on-prem controller that lets me operate all of these firewalls, all of these policies, and all these rules. So in terms of security, you can have unbreakable TLS 1.3 all you like and the perfect identity solution, but keeping everything operated and consistently running the same way, like like having, like to me, 40OS, having the same 40OS everywhere just solves a whole bunch of problems. I don't need to know that, oh, that's this firewall, but this firewall is running that. Over here is a different type of firewall with a different, and this router is running the SD-WAN code, but over here is an SD-WAN appliance. They're all one vendor, but they're all this blamange of trouble that you just can't quite get working right.
1: Well, that that simplified user experience is something that ZTNA is really uh, pushing hard. And you know you mentioned that you know some people expect that from the cloud. Um, one thing to contrast, you know ZTNA is with you know kind of traditional VPN, and that's where you know a lot of customers uh, are coming from today. And one of the you know, let's say dirty little secrets about ZTNA is that much of what we're talking about for uh, ZTNA can be accomplished with VPN. The VPN, um, you know, the argument against VPN is like, well, once you connect to the VPN, you have full access to everything. And the main reason that is the case is because, well, customers have implemented it that way. You could certainly create policy that limits your VPN users access to what you specifically want to have. But because it was much easier to give them all access and assume everything is secure, that's what gets us into you know the place that we are today. But adding these dynamic policies, things that we're doing, continual authentication and verification, that created so much other additional configuration complexity. The ZTNA solutions have to fully automate all of that stuff in order to make it easier because we are combining three different you know, components in mm. order to bring ZTNA. So we have to make it simpler for people to use yeah. Um. in, in you know, in the day-to-day operation.
2: Yeah, and really? we talked to customers about that and just how easy it was for them to bring this on. They weren't horrified, both willing to say that publicly and also when we talked to them off the record, you know, behind the show, they were just saying how easy this was to do, which is something I just want to emphasize that, that approach that the way Fortinet's gone around it is simplicity kind of is part of the design.
0: Well, and then that is huge from a standpoint of the traditional VPN administrator's role. I, the Alex, you were mentioning that so often they get implemented with like, yeah, if you can authenticate, you're in. It's just, you know, go, go for it. Because why? Because the VPN administrator is tired of getting help desk tickets. I was trying to get to this and I couldn't get to this. And then you got to go and review access lists and policies and try to figure out what it is they were trying to get. And you're constantly grinding away at should this person have access and getting approvals and all the rest. And so you end up with this, I don't want to to think about it anymore and just leaving it wide open because what else can you do? Practically speaking, operationally speaking, you don't have the head count to be babysitting VPN access all the time. And so I think an important, I'm going to say it, paradigm shift with CTNA (laughs) means that now you can do, you're not giving everybody access to everything, but in a sense, you're saying, I'm going to to rethink how we provide secure access and give people access to what they need, but in a way that isn't permit IP any any, it is allowing uh, an examined, thoughtful, and considered security approach that gives you access to what you need. Uh, Alex, uh, tell me if I'm crazy here.
1: Well, it's, it's actually very correct. One, one of the things that you know that, tr- that transition from VPN to ZTNA has shown us both. Um, Fortinet has made that internal uh, change as well uh, as a number of our customers is that it can be a shift as opposed to you know a full rip and replace. Um, the Fortinet uh, uh, ZTNA, uh, client, you know, for a client is also our VPN client. So our VPN client is smart enough to know when to use VPN and when to use ZTNA. So if we have ZTNA policies for a particular application access, we don't have to use the VPN for that. We can transition people seamlessly from an existing VPN solution over to ZTNA at whatever pace that they are required. And as you mentioned, there are you know fewer and fewer tickets that are opened to say, hey, I need access to this because it's already taken care of uh, automatically by the automatic policy enforcement in ZTNA.
0: So I take it if if, if I'm the VPN user now and I want to go to ZTNA, you're you're just saying it's not a cutover thing. I don't have to just say, okay, today's the big day. And then you train your help desk staff and go, you're going to get a bunch of calls, but that I can actually face this thing in over time. I don't have to flip a switch.
1: That's that's correct. So um, the the ZTNA uh, tunnels that come up, which are generally um, you know TLS one point three tunnels that are providing secure access, will dynamically be created when you're going to something with ZTNA. The VPN tunnel, it could be IPsec or even um, uh, you know TLS one uh, point two or one point three, just a full tunnel to uh, my corporate office, can still be up at the same time while I'm doing ZTNA. And you know we're we're smart enough to use the more secure one when it's appropriate.
0: Okay, so so TLS one point three support is is baked in here. I don't know that that's universal yet.
1: Well, so Fortinet's been doing TLS one point three since I want to say you know two thousand nineteen. I think uh, TLS one point three was ratified in late 2018 and our support for it in 40OS 6.2 uh, for doing inspection of TLS 1.3, you know, came, you know, at the at the early parts of 2019. So we've been doing that for a long time, you know, able to, you know, fully inspect uh, all of the TLS 1.3 connections, but also using it for obviously our ZTNA uh, encryption, uh, and encrypted tunnels uh, to the secure resources. So even if they're using TLS inside of that, we're still encapsulating all of that inside a, a specific TLS 1.3 tunnel just for the ZTNA connections.
0: Mm, okay. Back when we were talking about how the client does the access and there's this tunnel set up and there's the constant examination and re-examination of a policy and the certificate and so on, uh, all of that has got to take some amount of time, Alex. So is there a user experience impact going from VPN to ztna where it might feel slower to the user let's say
1: well that's actually one of the reasons why we're using tls 1.3 tls 1.3 has a much quicker setup time because of the reduced packets back and forth for connection setup Um, but uh 40 os you know has um has built-in acceleration support for uh, TLS 1.3. So we get very high performance, very low latency uh, for those uh, for those operations. Um, so we want to make sure that, obviously, there is always some trade-off between uh, latency or, you know, let's say usability and security, in this case, latency. Um, but one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to do is offload as much stuff as possible, you know, to the various locations where the traffic is being handled so for example the forda client is doing you know can do things like uh url checks it can do things like av inspection all of the things that some vendors may want to ship all that traffic off to the cloud for we don't have to do that we can we can take a look at that right there on the client make a decision right away if we have to if it's if it's something that's known bad um, we can also do, you know, uh, instead of taking a hop to the cloud in order to, you know, uh, do all of those things, we can go directly to the place where the and uh, where the resource is. So if it's in a uh, existing data center uh, that is, you know, in in for, you know for the customer or an existing headquarter location, I can go directly there, utilizing SD WAN and all of the other components that 40OS allows for um, to reduce latency for applications. So all of the other components within 40OS mm. are certainly optimized for reducing the latency and, and increasing application experience.
2: That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that angle. I mean, 1.3 being faster, TLS, 3, 2, TLS 1.3 being faster does make sense because it was designed to be faster. That was a big requirement for Google when it uh, committed so many people in the IETF around 1.3. Um, was, that was important to them. But the part about not necessarily shipping it off to a cloud service, doing the inspection locally, Uh, And the blocking and filtering locally means you don't have to send it out on the internet and then drop it. You know, you're you're actually saving bandwidth in a way and removing latency because the user doesn't have to wait for it to go out on a round trip. Not all cloud security services, you know, SSE providers are fast or necessarily perfectly operating at at the highest possible levels. (laughs) I just said that and I was kind of laughing on the inside, really. But anyway, you you get the idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, trying to do as much local processing as possible is really one of the key yeah. things that you, you know, will reduce latency from an end user perspective.
2: You don't do it all on the box. You would send some off to sure. the cloud.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. so it may go to the cloud. It really depends on, you know, customer's implementation. We can have the uh, enforcement, you know, points at in the cloud, um, both, you know, like running in public cloud or private cloud, uh, you know, with the customer running it themselves or as a service. Um, hmm. Or you know on prem. One of the nice things about the you know all of the different form factors is while you know you know many many customers are really embracing you know uh, cloud services because they want to offload as much you know work from themselves as possible. Um, a lot of customers are and and even individuals are more into the self hosting aspect. So not not being forced to have everything be a cloud lookup um, can be a big advantage. Um, we have a number of customers that are. Uh, air-gapped, meaning, you know, they they have no direct uh, internet connectivity, at least maybe not all the time. And so a cloud service won't work for them. Let's, you know, you can, you can think of a number of examples that are not necessarily just government, but like, let's say like a cruise ship may not always want to uh, send everything to the cloud because that is very, very expensive for them.
0: But. This is a, there's a security architecture question here. The how do I know that enforcement done on 40 client is as trustworthy of an enforcement as one that is done uh, at some more central uh, point of enforcement? You know that is there's a bad guy on my client and uh, he manipulated the traffic somehow to send something that is actually untrustworthy uh, through the tunnel and send it into the ZTNA network.
1: Well, one of one of the things that's good about that is because. Um, you know, all of the, you know, different components are security products. So we can do examination at the Forti client. We can also do, um, you know, examination at the uh, Universal ZTNA because it is our next generation firewall with FortiOS. We can do that same kind of uh, inspection and enforcement there. Now, you know, yeah, there's always going to be a case where, well, what if somebody does something really tricky and bad? Well, we can, you know, we can make sure that if there is that kind of compromise um you know on the client side there are some things where like let's just say if the uh, av has been disabled by uh you know a malicious you know a bad actor on the endpoint that is one of the admission control aspects that the policy uh policy server can enforce so if it says hey av is not installed or it's not running mm-hmm. on the endpoint then no traffic is going to be accepted by that particular um you know from that particular endpoint
0: yeah constant reassessment of the security posture of the endpoint to make sure yes. everything that would make that uh, that client secure has been is is running and is active and all of that yeah and i think you can get even more granular than that not just running but uh, some some of these tools you can even get into like you've got the latest signature set and you know this kind mm-hmm. of stuff
1: yeah we have a on, in the policy in the policy engine we have a you know a fairly robust language for you know, determining, you know, if the endpoint is, you know, allowed to connect, you know, from things like running processes to, um, you know, different uh, checks in AD, registry checks, uh, a number of other uh, uh, what we call our, our, our uh, security fabric connectors uh, that can connect to other third-party things in order to check uh, other things that are running as well, even outside of the Fortinet ecosystem.
0: I, I want to understand more about how Z, uh, the ZTNA scheme here understands applications. You mentioned that, yep, there you, you've got application IDs. You can identify things and so on, and then start building policy around applications. And you know, we're, we're pretty far from the world of uh, of simple IP address enforcement these days. But h- how do I how do I actually set that up from a policy perspective? I mean, I've got all these different enforcement points all over the place. How do I? Hmm. You know, connect to an application that's in the data center, and you know, give Fortinet, uh, the Fortinet world, an understanding of what that is, so I can begin building policy around it.
1: The universal ZTNA um, aspect in FortiOS really is just a, another component, and is able to rely on all of the other pieces within FortiOS. So, you know, um, FortiOS and the the FortiGates that run them, you know, are next generation firewalls, and we are application aware, meaning we are looking at the the network traffic to determine if a application really is the application, not just port and protocol and IP, like you mentioned.
0: That I don't have to code in. You mean you're actually looking at traffic on the wire and and, uh, suggesting application profiles from that or?
1: Uh, Correct. We can, we can certainly suggest them. Or if you already know what your application is and say, you know, let's just say it's, uh, you know, Citrix as our previous example, we can look at that traffic and say, it should look like, Whatever our signature says mm-hmm. it looks like, and then if it doesn't, we can disallow it, or it doesn't apply to this policy, and it may, you know, fall into another policy that says, "Well, I'm doing some some unauthorized application or unsanctioned application," and then maybe something, some different behavior occurs. Maybe I don't have access, or maybe I get limited access, or how, however I I want to set that up.
0: It feels like an evolution of IPS.
1: Uh, it's well, I'd say it's a, more an evolution of next generation firewall. So since mm-hmm. that is the um, that is the you know kind of application aware and access control where IPS is mm-hmm. usually looking for malicious things.
0: Okay, sure. Got it. So you see it all going by on the wire. You can make suggestions. I can plumb it in. Now I've got some object that I can build policy around. Is it about that straightforward?
1: It is about that straightforward. And one of the nice things that um, comes along with that is the the policy management server, the, the the EMS that we have, you know it needs to coordinate all of those policies both to the different um, uh, enforcement points. So they could be you know, in the cloud or on-prem or as a service. Um, so we can synchronize all of that policy across all of those different uh, security devices, as well as spread those out to all of the clients. So the clients also need to know what applications they have access to. So that way, you know, when we talked about before, whether they decide whether to use the VPN or the ZTNA, they need to know what access or what applications they have access to. So all parties involved are still aware of any particular policy that I've set up for application access. And then it's going to apply appropriately to, you know, one client versus another, depending on what their access levels are.
0: Well, Alex, by way of close, I want to revisit the topic of transitioning from VPN to ZTNA. So you you said earlier, it's easy. All you got to do is the same client and we're just going to move over to ZTNA. It's gosh, it's probably just a checkbox and we're done. Only it isn't, Alex. I know it isn't because I've done a bunch of these kind of swapovers of technology over the years. Give us a sense of what it's actually going to be like to move from VPN to ZTNA. Is there like a backend operational change to the engineering team? Does my does my help desk group need to be educated in some way to prep for this? What's the impact to the client? Are they going to see a change? Talk us through it.
1: Well, we'll go with the easy ones first. The impact to the client should be pretty much none. The, you know, from, from the client's perspective, whether they're using VPN or ZTNA, it will look the same. The, the maybe the biggest difference is for some of the ztna things they may not even have to activate their vpn you know they may not have to you know double click on it and say start the vpn ztna will just automatically work when they're trying to access those resources now from the you know operational staff uh on the back end uh one of the big you know things that really needs to change is probably the organization and um you know kind of auditing of your access levels really is probably the biggest first step. So, you know, like if you were using VPN and and giving the, you know, allow IP any any, then uh, you probably have a little bit more work to do than somebody who already has some granular VPN controls. So you you may need to-
0: so gently. (laughs) You you may have a little bit of work you need to do. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: So you may need to, you know, kind of classify, you know, who your users are and what access they may have. So you do have to think about what the access control is. But if you're doing that transition, you can start with some things for ZTNA and then slowly you know, add them until you feel comfortable closing down your VPN, or not closing down, but limiting your yes. VPN scope.
0: Okay. You are talking about a fairly significant investment of time on the part of the operations group to review what levels of access they were giving at the VPN level and say, okay, we're serious about this. We want to, we're, we're building a zero trust architecture within our organization. ZTNA, zero trust network access is a big part of that you have to now have a robust and serious security policy and begin looking at this application by application, figuring out the levels of access that are required. You may need to build a, a matrix of users to applications and then try to map that into a policy. This this could be, uh, I don't wanna overstate it and scare anybody, but it, but it could be a significant undertaking, Alex.
1: It is, and one of the, it is significant undertaking, but there are a lot of tools that uh, we can provide that will help that transition. So a lot of our reporting and analytics both on the VPN side and the ztna side since we are able to do full inspection of all of the traffic whether it's you know tls 1.3 uh, encrypted or not we can provide uh, a you know a report of what applications are being accessed you know within within the you know uh, the customer's network and then f- you know figure out, which of those things are most, you know, uh, important, or at least most, most used, uh, it's up to the customer to determine which ones are most, you know, critical to them, but utilizing this kind of visibility that we have, because we do have all of these components, both, um, from the client's perspective, from the cloud's perspective and the on-prem perspective, um, you know, all three of those locations. And that's not something, uh, you know, a number of, uh, cloud providers can't can't uh, you know provide you with that visibility into your own network. But since we can, it makes that transition from VPN to ZTNA that much easier because you have more visibility to rely on.
0: Well, and to follow up on another point you made earlier, I don't have to do this all at once. I could start with, say, a more technically savvy group that are willing to be my guinea pigs, ha ha, for ZTNA, mm-hmm. and provide that more locked down ZTNA approach and see how it goes. Oh. I didn't provide this group this specific access that they needed, I hadn't thought about that. And then you know lessons learned and now you know as you begin to deploy it more widely in the organization, you got more confidence that it's gonna be successful and your help desk isn't gonna be overwhelmed the morning you cut over a group of users.
1: And I'll say it so you don't have to. You know, It is that paradigm shift and it is just a shift so you don't have to, you know, flip that big switch and cross your fingers and hope that everything's going to work as soon as you do that cutover. Um, you can, you know, um, uh, go as as fast or as slow as you need to in order to make the impact on your users. Um, you know, as minimal as possible. But obviously, you know, there is all, uh, an, uh, a directive to increase the amount of security that you have in your enterprise. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are looking at ZTNA right now is because that that imperative to um, increase security uh, in today's environment is, is really there. It's not a transition we're making for no reason or because, hey, we have some new cool technology available. It's really because the increased security provided by uh, a zero-trust architecture, is really something that every enterprise is thinking about today. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the transition that we're, we're helping customers make.
0: Alex Samanti, thank you for joining us today. If people want to find out more about Fortinet and ZTNA, where should they go?
1: They should go to fortinet.com slash ZTNA. It's just that oh. simple.
0: Yeah, you made that, you made that straightforward. Fortinet.com slash ZTNA to find out more. And our thanks to Fortinet for sponsoring today's Zero Trust and Network Access discussion. ZTNA and Zero Trust Architecture, that, that is broadly a huge topic. We You've, you've heard a lot if you listen to the Packet Pushers podcast network. We're going to be talking about it more because it is kind of a big deal. Now, if you are maybe new to Zero Trust Architecture, you want to dig into the topic more deeply to understand the philosophy behind it, Give NIST publication 800-207 a read. And you're not going to remember 800-207 maybe. Just search for NIST, N-I-S-T, Zero Trust, and it's going to come right up. It's a free PDF, quite readable, and it's a good foundation for your Zero Trust knowledge. So thanks for listening today. You are an awesome human. Check out everything we at the Packet Pushers Podcast Network have to offer for your professional career development, all at packetpushers.net including our free weekly newsletter with industry news, plus some lulls, plus our free community Slack channel filled with fellow nerds the world over chatting about nerdy network and cloud stuff. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.